Well, we are actually going for the gold. Uh, this um, idea obviously uh, comes from our Olympic Games uh, that uh, many of you enjoyed them uh, just watching the ones in Rio uh, last uh, month. And uh, so just tying in uh, with that, uh, likening it to the Christian experience, the Christian life. Uh, there's a lot of metaphors in the Bible uh, to which uh, the Christian life is likened, uh, like soldiers in battle, uh, farmers who sow seed, uh, boxers who uh, are fighting, and of course, students in school. Yeah. Uh, and um, some of you can identify with that now. Uh, but probably the most common and the easiest to identify with and relate to is that of runners in a race. Uh, in our introductory message last week, uh, we pointed out that Paul used the context of the Olympic and the Isthmian Games in Corinth uh, to express in terms that the Corinthians could understand uh, the importance of running the race of the Christian life in such a way as to win. Paul also referred to the second most popular contest in the games, uh, which was boxing and pancreation, uh, and he stressed the need for strict training before engaging in the contest. Today we want to continue the thought of a runner engaged in the race, but this time from a different passage of Scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 3. And um, just to let you know where we're going with this series, um, the next two messages, the final two messages of the series, will switch directions a little, uh, although it's still related to going for the gold. Uh, but next week, I, I plan to talk about a subject that is often neglected, and that is the second coming of Christ. And I want to conclude this series with a very important message that I hope every one of you uh, will be here to experience. And um, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I think it's very important. If you can set that Sunday aside, particularly to be here, uh, I would really love to have you here for that, for that message. So let's give attention to our text today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, the writer of Hebrews, and I may slip up from time to time and say, Paul said. Uh, and it's a good likelihood that Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews, but uh, it's, it's uh, also uh, open uh, to possibility that someone else could have written it. So I'm going to try to say the writer to Hebrews. We're not sure who it is, but most likely it was Paul. So if I say Paul, uh, I have maybe an 80% chance of being correct. Um, otherwise, I'll apologize and repent if I find out in eternity that it was somebody else. 
He says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. We usually run when we're anxious to get to a certain place. Now, Bill wasn't very anxious to get up to the front, and so I tried to get him to run, but uh, he wasn't motivated too much to run uh, to get to the front a few minutes ago. But I remember playing as a kid um, at my cousin's house, and uh, we were playing in a field next to his house, and um, it was a place where a bull was kept. And uh, for some reason, and, and honestly, we didn't provoke him. Um, he started chasing us. And needless to say, I was very anxious to get to a certain place. And so uh, that place was a hole in the fence that we had crawled through earlier. And so I ran and, and literally dove through that opening. But I was a little more concerned about my cousin and uh, because of my, you know, my um, tender compassionate heart. Uh, no, really, he was, he, he was smitten with polio when he was young, and, uh, and he actually walked with a limp. And um, so I thought, well, I hope, hope Leonard can make it. Uh, but I didn't need to worry, because uh, he scuttled quite, quite, a well, quite a, uh, well <laughs> along, and he dove through the fence right on my heels. And so uh, there are times that we are impressed to move more quickly than others. And it might not always be to get away from something. It could be an eagerness to get to something to which we're attracted. And so generally we run when we are motivated to run. Now, the writer here says that this is not a sprint. But it's more like a marathon. And so he says we are uh, to run with perseverance. And so we're to run, uh, eager to get to the goal, but with perseverance. We pace ourselves so that we can finish the race set before us. And so perseverance, you know, doggedly continuing in the race to the finish line, is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews. Now the first word in our text, therefore, introduces this thought. And of course, as you know, when you see the word therefore, uh, you should ask, what is it there for? And so it actually, it looks back in context to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 35 through 36, where the writer says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And then chapter 11, he, he gives us those, that, that list of uh, the great heroes of faith, men and women uh, in the Old Testament who persevered and had patience through trials. And uh, so he's, he refers to these guys as a great cloud of witnesses. And so uh, he's urging us to persevere. And then he says, uh, there's these cloud of witnesses that he talks about in chapter 11. Now, sometimes people obviously have the idea that um, it could be people who have passed on, who, who have died. 
And for some reason, I get the impression that people think that maybe the ghosts of these people, the part of ones are constantly looking on and, and uh, following us in this world. And maybe that's, maybe that's your thought. Maybe you think, well, my, my grandparent or my, my, uh, someone has, are, are watching me. But that's not biblical doctrine. And it is kind of creepy if you think about it a little bit. <laughs> and it's not just spectators. Uh, at a game, watching and witnessing our lives. But the witnesses that he is speaking of are the crowds of people in uh, chapter 11 who walked by faith and uh, listed, there's a great list there, but he says there's others that are too numerous to even mention. And so there are all of these great cloud of witnesses of people that have gone on. And uh, these are the folks that witness to the fact that it is possible to walk by faith in spite of great difficulties and threats of death. And so these are people who have run the race. And they finished the course. And they have won the prize. And now they are urging us on in our race. And so uh, it's not they who look at us, but it's we who look to them. For encouragement. They're the witnesses. They're the ones that says, we've done it. And since we have done it, you can do it too. And of course, the tendency is to protest that these are giants of faith. These are great men and women of God. Whereas we're weak and we're frail and uh, we struggle through life. But the striking truth is that none of those guys were perfect. None of them. They were not perfect people. Look at some of the list. Noah was a drunk. You know, he built the ark, yes. But he was a drunk. At least on one occasion. Abraham was a liar. Samson couldn't control his passion. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses had a temper problem. Gideon was panic-stricken with fear. And David was an adulterer and a murderer. And so these people weren't perfect, not even close to perfect. And yet they progressed toward the finish line. And the scripture says they persevered to win the prize. And what these imperfect people say to you and to me today is, you can do it. You can make it. But then the writer says, before we can effectively run with perseverance, uh, there are certain conditions under which we need to run. And so he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So let us. Let who? Let us. There's action required on our part, isn't it? Let us throw off. Because it's not going to just fall off on its own. These things that we have to lay aside, the hindrances and the sin that has to be laid aside, we have to throw it off. We have to loosen it and let go of it and throw it away. And so he says, let us throw off everything. How many things? Everything that hinders. And so the idea is that whatever load we're carrying... That would slow us down in our walk with Christ. It needs to be discarded. 
Get rid of it. It didn't take long on my Appalachian Trail through hike to realize that there were some things that I was uh, lugging around in my backpack that I really didn't absolutely need, uh, especially after lugging them up some uh, seemingly never-ending climbs to the tops of the mountains. And so like many others, at 36 miles into the hike, at the first road crossing with the outfitters, uh, mountain crossings at Wallace Yee in Georgia, uh, non-essentials were mailed home. There are tons of stuff every year that's mailed home from that first road crossing. And though I did pick up a little rock, a little pebble, it's a little bigger than a pebble, a little rock uh, in Springer Mountain in Georgia to carry all the way up to Mount Katahdin in Maine, uh, we would never think of just loading our backpacks down with heavy rocks um, just to add extra weight to make it harder and uh, slow our progress. We would never do that. Now, we would, uh, we weren't really adverse to sneaking a pretty good-sized rock into a hiking buddy's backpack. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of fun to see how long it took him to realize. And it did take long to realize there's extra weight uh, in your pack. And I wasn't obsessed with weight. Um, some guys cut the handle off their toothbrush to save weight. But I did continuously get rid of stuff all the way up that I hadn't used for a while. And so if I hadn't used it, why carry it? Why haul it around? And so I sent it home. Because there are no merits, no bonus points, no stickers that you can attach to your completion certificate just because you carried a heavier backpack than somebody else. And so in our Christian life, anything that weighs you down and slows your progress, we must throw off. Sometimes the weight that we need to unload is outright sin. It could just be sin. And it's something that you know is wrong, but it might be something that you're really not willing to get rid of. I wasn't very good at, at reducing the load of my backpack. Because there were times that I had the heaviest one of anybody in our group, and I kept trying. And it's just like some of the stuff, I thought, I can't get rid of that. I might need that. I, I can't get rid of this first aid. I'm, I might need all of that. But I should have, because I didn't need it. I should have gotten rid of it. But there are some things that we say, I just, I just like, I kind of like that sin. That sin and I have been together for a long time. We're friends. I don't want to get rid of that sin. And so sometimes it's hard to throw it off. Maybe it's a sin of bitterness. You know, you, you just won't let go of that hurt from the past. And it's unbelievable how bitterness weighs you down. And hurts you more than anybody else. Maybe it's envy. Whatever, whatever that sin is. Uh, unload it. Throw it off. Throw it away. However, sin is not the only thing that can, can keep us from being what God wants us to be. Uh, there are some weights that are not sin. But we would simply call them distractions. That keep us from progressing spiritually as we should. Uh, they could be pursuits of things of lesser importance that hinder us from being what God has planned for us. But sometimes the weight is a sin 
the writer says, that so easily entangles. And it powerfully hinders our walk with Christ. You know, for most people, there is usually some one sin, at least, uh, that uh, whether it's from your situation you're in or from your personality or circumstances or whatever, that you are more powerfully tempted to than to others. And guess what? Satan knows what that is. And he skillfully adapts his temptations to that. And so he baits his hook. He chooses his bait. And he casts that line uh, in the direction that you know, he knows that the tendency of your heart is that way anyhow. And so, so he tempts you in that direction. And that sin, which some writers call the besetting sin, that's something that you find yourself tripped up in and trapped in over and over. That sin, if you indulge it, will hold you back. It becomes like a ball and chain just wrapped around your ankle and it slows you down in your race. So what is it that hinders you? In your life, what is it that hinders? Is it addiction? What is that thing that you think you can't get along without? We tend at times to condemn and pity the alcoholic and the drug user. But the truth is we all tend to have uh, certain little habits that we guard. And so how carefully do you cling to your little addictions? Facebook is one. Amen? Amen. Be honest. Coffee. Some people can't function without coffee. You're addicted to it. Maybe cigarettes. Oh, but I can quit if I want to. Sure. Favorite TV show comes on at 7 o'clock. You better not mess with me at 7 o'clock because I'm watching my show. You're addicted. Addictions, large or small, can be overcome. And so if you want to call a witness to that fact, call Noah. Call him. One of the cloud of witnesses. He struggled with drunkenness. And he says, you can lose that extra weight. You can lose that addiction. Maybe your weight's lying. Maybe you lie about your weight. (laughs) Seems like a little harmless sin, doesn't it? Doesn't hurt anything. Who does it hurt? It hurts you. And it hurts God. Because there are no little sins with God. And the scripture says that God abhors dishonesty and a lying tongue. So if that's your struggle, call Abraham to be your witness. Twice he lied to a king about his wife, about Abraham's wife, and said, she's my sister. He was a deceiver and a liar, but he overcame it. And so he was a man of faith, the father of faith listed in the scripture, who learned to trust God, not only with his walk, but with his talk as well. And so he says to us, lose that extra weight. Stop lying. Be truthful. Maybe your susceptibility is passion. Do you struggle with issues of your heart? It could come in the form of ambitions or prejudices or obsessions or infatuations or unbridled zeal. And passions are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. 
But if they are directed the wrong way, they can get you off track and they can cause you to lose focus in your walk with God. And misdirected passions can destroy your life. If you don't believe that, ask Samson. He was a man blessed with passion, but it ruined him. And so he says, never substitute a passion for people or things in the place of passion for God. And so passions lose that weight that slows you down. Is your weight promiscuity? Are you struggling with your sex drive? Well, have your sexual relations overstepped God-ordained boundaries of marriage? Nothing will weigh a person down more and be harder to break than sexual sin. Talk to Rahab. She's a former prostitute in the scripture, in the lineage of Christ, by the way, who assisted the children of Israel as they went into the promised land to help to overcome and conquer that land. And she'll tell you that the sin of promiscuity can be broken and that God will forgive and that you can be restored to wholeness and wellness. But you have to let go and throw off that trap that so desperately and and difficultly uh, will will ensnare you and wound you uh, as a follower of Christ. So lose that weight. Is your weight anger? Or do you have a temper? Can you be set off in a split second if something inconvenient happens or frustrations come at you? The more we allow offenses to preoccupy us, the less time, the less energy we have to serve God. Because we're so busy dealing with what we're ticked off over. And so call Moses. You know, he, he struggled with temper. But he'll tell you to forgive quickly and to go on with the race. Anger will encumber you. It'll slow you down. So he says, lose that. Maybe your weight is fear. Fear can paralyze. And and to be truthful, to be honest, life at times is filled with unfamiliar scenarios and sometimes threatening situations that you're in. And you might find yourself anxious and refusing to go any further because you're afraid and fear locks you into place. And so call Gideon. He'll remind you of the time that he led his soldiers into battle, significantly outnumbered with defeat and death appearing imminent. And yet Gideon trusted God and won the battle. And so Gideon would say to you that fear is a way that will hold you back. It will keep you from running to full potential of what God has for you in the race. And so give that to God. And rest in his presence and trust him. Fear is a needless weight. He says, lose it. Is your weight your past? Have you committed some horrific act for which you cannot forgive yourself? Did you do something so awful that the devil says you're not eligible to run this race? You're disqualified. What in your past is haunting you. Maybe it's distracting you. Maybe it's weighing you down. Call David. He'll encourage you. He was guilty of an illicit 
adulterous affair and a murderous cover-up. Most people would have been disqualified by that. But when David called out to him, God met him and forgave him and restored him and cleansed him and remade him and used him. And so David would say to you today, take it to Jesus. He already knows about your sin. And so confess it to him and ask him to forgive you and put you back into the race. See, past mistakes and sin are a painful weight. And God says, lose that extra weight. You say, well, how do, how do you lose it? How do you lose the weight? You, know, you take a pill. I got some I'll sell you. How do you lose the weight, truthfully, in this sense? Identify first what's tripping you up. We, we are aware of our entangling sins. We know what they are. I mean, we, we've fallen so many times in that one area that we know what it is that trips us up. Amen? Yeah, be honest. The distractions, however, might be more difficult to identify. And so we have to start looking at our life and say, okay, what is it in my life that's holding me back from being what God wants me to be and from accomplishing all that he wants me to do? And then confess and repent of your sins. Be honest about it. You know, acknowledge what it is and call it like God sees it. That's so important. Call it like God sees it. Don't try to sugarcoat it. And so confession accepts responsibility for our actions. And repentance means that I turn my back on the way I was going and go instead to God. A 180. That's repentance. And then be filled with God's spirit. And when God forgives us, he gives us the spirit, his spirit, to enable us to live victoriously over sin. You know, trying to live, <clears throat> excuse me, above sin without God's power, it's kind of like trying to drive your car without gas. Through the Spirit's power, however, we're given resources that will break the chains of sin and remove the hindrances that hold us back. And so the writer says, let us run with patience or perseverance the race Marked out for us. And so being told to throw off everything that hinders and that entangling sin, he now says, run. The issue is that sometimes we get the first part, but we fail to do the second part. And so we see all the things in our life that's holding us back, and we throw off that weight and then we're not willing to engage our hearts and our minds and our faith to do something. And so here we are. We just sit around. And we're just glorying in our newfound freedom. You know, our sin is rolled away. You know, we're free. We're, we're, we're just rejoicing. God has blessed us and it feels great. And we sit around rejoicing. And then the next thing you know, you are back doing what you had done before. You went back to your old ways and you're wondering why. 
It's because you haven't taken your new strength and done something with it. You, know, you can take your car. It's kind of like taking your car to a say a sheets <clears throat> that has a car wash. And so you go into the gas station, you fill it up, and you hit, yes, I want a car wash. <clears throat> so you, you fill it up, and then you go over to the car wash, and you drive through and get your car all washed. And when that's done, <clears throat> you don't put it into gear and drive off. You know, it's just kind of like sitting there looking good, all fueled up, but it's not going anywhere. You see, God cleanses us and he fills us with his spirit to go somewhere. Not just to sit in church and rev our engines once a week. Faith always means to move. Faith has feet. And so when, so when you lay aside all those hindrances and God sets you free from that, we are told then to run with perseverance. Get into the race. Amen. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys serve. You do all those things. But I just want to encourage you in it. Keep, keep doing that. And run the race that's marked out for us. God puts every believer in a race with a course marked out for him or her. In fact, Paul understood that when he said in Acts 20, verse 24, he said, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the court or the race and complete the task which the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so God gave Paul a specific task. And it might not be the same thing that God gives you. Although it may be similar. And I do believe that God's given each of us the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's in the Great Commission, all of us. But we're not all called to be pastors or teachers or evangelists. You might be called to something more important than that. And what makes it more important is that it is what God has called you to specifically. You know, too many men and women have sought after the gift of pastor who are not actually called by God to be a pastor. The race that God sets before you is the most important thing that God wants to accomplish in your life. So sometimes we're so busy trying to run somebody else's race that um, we fail to run the one that God set before us. God sets the course before you. And although the race might be similar in that we're following Christ and we're, we're on our way to meet him, our Lord doesn't use all of us in the same way. And so the race he has before you is designed to bring honor and glory to Christ as you follow him all the way to the finish line. If God's gifted you with hospitality, use that gift. That's an awesome ministry. And that might be the area of your specific race that God wants to use you in. If he's gifted you in the area of evangelism and you just can't hold back, you've always got to tell somebody about the, the gospel of Christ, then that's a gift. Run that race. Maybe you want to nurture the next generation in their pursuit of God. And so you, you feel God's called you to be a mentor to the next generation. That's an awesome calling. Run that race all the way. 
Maybe there's a tug in your heart to teach and you want to make the word of God clear and real uh, to children or, or whoever it is you're teaching. That is a tremendous ministry. And so use that. In fact, there are so many things, so many areas that God, in which God can use you in the body of Christ. And they're all critical to the ministry. The one thing we have to be willing to do is run this race of faith with the idea of finishing the course and honoring God in the process. How do we do that? How do we persevere? How do we endure to the end of this race? The writer tells us, in fact, we're at the end of our sermon almost, so if the band would come on up. How do we persevere to the end? We look to Jesus. We keep our gaze on him. And so the writer says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can so easily lose focus on Jesus and get sidetracked by other things. Sometimes we become preoccupied with other people. And we let other people help us to lo- keep, cause us to lose focus because we're putting on a little show for people. We want them to see how we are running our race. It's kind of like school kids in elementary school. You know, they're, they're out on maybe it's a field day and they're having all these races. And they know that either mom or dad or grandparents are in the sidelines watching them. And, you know, it's, it's cute. And so that they're running along and all of a sudden, hey, mom, that's grandma. You know, that's my grandma over there. And so they, they, they lose focus. And so sometimes we get preoccupied with people and how do we look to other people? How, how, you know, are, we, are we looking like we're really doing something to them? And, and we get sidetracked. And, we, and we, our focus is off of Jesus. Or we get preoccupied with ourselves. And we're running along in our race. And is my stride right? Am I putting my feet in the right place? You know, speaking of feet, do my shoes match my outfit? We become preoccupied with ourselves and how we're running the race. Am I breathing correctly? The only way I know to breathe when you run is just puff like a dragon. So we, we can become preoccupied with other people or with ourselves or with how everyone else is running. We hear footsteps behind us. I better hurry up because they're going to catch me and pass me. We don't need to worry about everybody else's race. We need to worry about ours first. Amen? Run the race that he set before us. On May the 6th, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. It had been how many centuries? But within two months, John Landy eclipsed that record by 1.4 seconds. And so obviously there had to be a runoff. And so on August the 7th, 1954, the two met together for a historic race. Who would be the fastest? 
And so as they were running that race and they moved into the last lap, John Landy was leading as they neared the finish. But he was haunted by the question, where is Bannister? And so as he turned to look, Bannister passed him and took the lead. And so Landy later told Time Magazine reporter, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. I would have won. How often do we voice the same regret? We're running well. We're doing great in our race. But then there's a distraction. Money problems. Or marriage issues. Or work problems. We have a tendency to look away from our goal of following Christ by faith. And we lose a step or two. And we find ourselves stumbling in the process. And to compound the problem, instead of getting up and putting our eyes back on Jesus, we roll around and and grimace in pain for a while. Then we finally get up and we're looking at the obstacle rather than looking under Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I can't focus on two things at once. So the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Lock in on Jesus attentively to him and his word. That's where you find solutions. And better yet, that's where you find the grace to endure and persevere by faith. Jesus has been there. Jesus knows what you're going through. He's been tempted in every way like you, but without sin. And the scripture says he joyfully triumphed through every trial and temptation. And where did he get his joy? Where did it come from? Well, the writer says, enduring the cross and despising the scorn or the shame for you and for me. His joy is you and me. It's it's we who he loves so much that he would take the penalty of our sin upon himself so that we could enter the race that he has for us that we might meet him face to face one day and receive the prize that he has for us. That's the joy that he has. And the scripture ends by saying, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're in a struggle or a contest, when do you sit down? When it's done, right? When it's finished. Jesus sat down because... The race was done for him. He finished what he set out to do. His mission, he accomplished that. And so having defeated sin and death, he gives us the victory today. And so let's run looking to Jesus. We're more than conquerors through who? Through him who loved us. And so run so as to win the prize and go for the gold. Amen. Amen. Those cloud of witnesses says, you can do it. We did it. You can do it as well. Amen. Let's, let's run so as to win. Praise God. Let's stand together with me today. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you today for every person that is in this place this morning. So thankful, God, that you have, by your grace, saved us. You've called us. And God, you've placed us into this race of the Christian life.
thank you, Lord, that you've done that and, and that you go with us, you go before us, and you empower us so that we can, we can run this race victoriously. And we look to do that, God. It is worth it. It'll be worth it when this life is over. And we can say, Jesus, we're at the end of our race. We've won. We finished. We kept going. And now the prize awaits. So I pray for every person here today, God, that you'll help them to finish the race they have before them. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.